this week we're turning to a new topic and it is this. It's talking about forgiveness and it's basically saying this. Dear God, do I really have to forgive that person? Now, when you say that person, say it in bold and italics. You know, you can tell I write stuff because I'm always thinking of like, how do you highlight it on the written page? How do, do, you really, do I really have to forgive that person? There is usually somebody that comes to mind when you say that person. Somebody who has hurt you, wounded you, wronged you, and there is a sense of fairness and justice that wells up, and you say that person needs to pay. That person needs to uh, suffer a little bit for the suffering that they've caused to me. So we need to deal with that this morning on do I really need to forgive that person? Here's a question. Are there some things that people do to other people, some things that are just plain unforgivable, that are just plain unforgivable? What scenario could you even picture to say there are some things that people do to other people that are just absolutely unforgivable? There's a story about a man in World War II whose naval plane went down in the Pacific and he was uh, marooned. Well, he wasn't marooned. That sounds like he was on an island. He was stuck on a raft for about 46 or 47 days. He was captured by the Japanese. He was put in a Japanese prison. His name is Louis Zamperini. Some of you saw the movie when it came out, Unbroken. Some of you read the book, Unbroken, by Lauren Hillebrand. Totally recommend that book to you. In fact, having read the book before the first movie came out, the only disappointment about the movie was you didn't tell the rest of the story, right? If you remember watching that movie, he comes off the plane back to California after World War II is over, and the, mo and the, the story ends right there, and that is certainly not the end of the story. So there is a sequel to this movie uh, of Louis Zamperini's story of being uh, uh, captured and put in a Japanese prison and tortured by this evil guard named the Bird and how Louis dreamed of, of getting a chance after the war to meet up with a Bird and put his hands around the Bird's neck and choke him to death. Fantasies that Louis Zamperini had of getting back at the Bird for what that guard did to him. Speaking of that sequel, I want you to give your attention to the screen. Bless you, Louis. Welcome home. All of Torrance was praying for your safe return. Miracles didn't save me, Padre. A couple of atomic bombs did that. <laughs> You're Louis Zamperini, aren't you? Thank you. For what? For preserving the free world for silly girls like me. People from all over the country want to know if you're going to run in the London Olympics. What's this? If you're going to train for London, you have to do it right. Just go nice and easy, see if you can make it all the way around. You can run a four-seven mile again. I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't. I don't run to run. I run to win. You will never escape me. Wherever you go, I will find you. Are you sleeping well? You're having any night sweats or nightmares? I just thought I'd be able to forget everything. I want to go home. There is no home.
man suffer? Why doesn't he stop the pestilence? Why doesn't he stop the wars? You need help. Here tonight, there's a drowning man. Just looking for some type of hope for the future. But there's a lifeline. Just reach out. These men did terrible things to you. What are you gonna say to them? As a matter of fact, the movie opens this weekend. I hope you get a chance to see it. Um, it's it's a, a remarkable story of redemption and how uh, Louis Zamperini's life was turned around through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, just a little spoiler on that, uh, that, that young man, that tall young man that was there in the pulpit uh, preaching in 1949 in Los Angeles, that was none other, none other than Billy Graham. Um, C.S. Lewis says this about forgiveness, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And forgiveness, that's something that, that Christ followers, those who name the name of Jesus, who say, I believe in Jesus and I follow him, we should be known for our forgiveness. We should be known for our grace, the grace of God that has covered a multitude of sins, the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross has paid the penalty for all of our sins, and we are blessed even though we don't deserve the grace just a reminder, grace actually means you get something that you did not earn. You didn't merit anything from God. You didn't merit forgiveness. You didn't earn it, but God graciously will give it to you through faith in Christ. And when God gives us that grace and forgiveness, he wants us to pay it forward. He wants us to pass that grace on to other people. So we should be known for grace. We should be known for giving to other people love and friendship and forgiveness and here's the kicker, and this is what should make us Christ followers stand out in our society. We should be giving that love and grace to people whether or not they deserve it. Our forgiveness of others, it may not always be deserved, but then again, we have to remember that neither was our forgiveness deserved by God. So you may be saying to all this, because uh, I know some of you have followed Christ for years and years, your reaction to this so far, might, you might be saying, I know, I know I'm supposed to forgive other people who've hurt me, parentheses or under your breath, but you know what? You don't understand. You don't understand what that person did to me. You don't know the depth of my wound and my hurt. You don't know just how impossible it is for me to even think about forgiving that person and what they did to me. I want you to start thinking about grace and forgiveness. In fact, I want to I share three astonishing examples of forgiveness that happened in our, in our American culture within the last decade or so, right? Forgiveness, it's so challenging to extend forgiveness to those who wrong us. Here's, here's a stunning illustration of forgiveness. The first one, you guys probably remember this. Back in 2006, I think it was in Pennsylvania, in the Amish country, the West Nickel Mines Amish School, where in the fall of 2006, the unthinkable happened when in a one-room school full of Amish children, they were taken hostage by a man named Charles Carl Roberts. 
And after a few terrifying hours, Roberts bound and then shot 10 girls. He killed five of them before he turned the gun on himself. Within hours, the Amish families immediately began extending their forgiveness to the gunman. That was, do, do you remember hearing about that? Do you remember seeing that? It was remarkable. Within hours, Amish families walked over. I remember they walked a certain distance to get to the home of the wife of this man who was the gunman. And they visited his wife and his parents to offer them comfort, and they even attended the killer's funeral. A grandfather of one of the murdered girls cautioned the family not to hate their killer. He says, we must not think evil of this man, he said. And another father said, he had a mother and a wife and a soul, and now he is standing before a just God. Remarkable example of forgiveness. The second example is this. There was a young pastor. His name was Eric Fitzgerald. He was preparing to be a new father to a baby boy. He lost his wife along with their unborn son when the driver of another car fell asleep at the wheel after working a long shift as an EMT. And among the pain and the grief, Eric was overcome with concern and compassion for the young man. His name was Matthew Swatzel. He was responsible for taking the lives of his family. And, and this pastor, Eric Fitzgerald, he heard about the intense guilt and the shame that this man was experiencing. And so faced with the decision to pursue the case against Matthew, to push for the maximum penalty or to opt for a lesser charge, Eric chose the lesser charge as a chance to demonstrate God's forgiveness and love. Remarkable. The third example happened in South Carolina, in Charleston. Do you remember that? That was in the church, the shooting that happened on a Wednesday night Bible study or something like that in the church. And this man came in just days before. His name was Dylan Roof. Just days before he took the lives of nine church members. The family members of the victims remarkably, um, just days after, excuse me, just days after he took the lives of nine church members, Family members of the victims began offering statements of forgiveness to this man, Dylan, during a bond hearing. The daughter of Ethel Lance fought through tears, and she spoke directly to Dylan, the murderer. And he said, you took something very precious away from me, and I will never be able to talk to her again. I will never be able to hold her again, but I forgive you. Felicia Saunders, the mother of Tyswanda Sanders, also addressed this man directly, and he said, you know, we welcomed you on Wednesday night into the Bible study. We welcomed you with open arms. You have killed some of the most beautiful, in fact, do you want me to read what she actually said? You've killed some of the most beautifulest people that I know. Taiwanza Sanders is my son, but Taiwanza was my hero. But as we say in our Bible study, we enjoyed you, and may God have mercy on you. Wow. Now, what do these three stories have in common? Well, for one, they have in common unbelievable pain and tragedy. The lives of their loved ones were suddenly, radically, forever, uh, forever because they're going to see them again in heaven. But for the time left on earth, they were taken from them. That is a, it's a story about sudden loss, sudden tragedy, massive loss, but, but in a moment, in a flash, there's another kind of suffering and forgiveness that is involved. 
In these three cases, you know, the persons who wronged them, it, first of all, it all happened pretty quickly. And secondly, the persons who wronged them were strangers. It just happened uh, in a moment on one day. And so you might say to yourself, you know, I really admire these people. I admire their ability to forgive others who wrong them. These people are remarkable. But my situation that I'm thinking about, my situation is different. The people or the person who hurt me he or she did it again and again, and it wasn't just one time. It was over a long period of time, and that wound is very deep. Often these people who've hurt, they're members of your own family. We grew up with them. We grew up around them, and they were abusive, and they were cruel. Forget, so forgiving a wrong by a family member who has done this kind of abuse over and over, time and time again, is especially difficult it's a, because the wound is especially deep. I want you to think of an example in the Bible of someone who was hurt by his own family. Can you think of somebody? I'll give you a hint. Try the book of Genesis. Nobody knew the kind of family wound better than Joseph. Now, again, this isn't Joseph, Mary's husband. There's another Joseph in the Bible. And in the Hebrew scriptures, it's the story of Joseph, um, who is the great-grandson of Father Abraham. So he's, he's one of the patriarchs. Joseph's older brothers, because they were jealous of him, they mocked him, they rejected him, they beat him, and then they sold him into slavery into Egypt. And all this while Joseph was only a teenager. And so Joseph went to Egypt as a slave. He did okay for a while, and then he became wrongly accused of rape, and he was thrown into prison unjustly, even though he didn't do anything wrong. And for years, Joseph is, is, is stuck in prison, and he's suffering without ever having really done anything wrong. And then after a time, Joseph is able to interpret a prophetic dream for the king of Egypt called Pharaoh. He was the ruler, and so Pharaoh, because Joseph had the ability to interpret his dream and to say, hey, good times are coming, but disaster, famine is coming on this land. We need to do something about it. We need to prepare. And Pharaoh not only took Joseph out of prison, he made him second in command, prime minister, if you will, of the whole nation of Egypt. And so now, some years later, because there was a famine, guess who came to Egypt? Joseph's very own brothers. The same people who had beaten him, mocked him, rejected him, and sold him into slavery to a foreign country years ago. And I, you can imagine that in a normal human heart, the hurt, the wound, the unjust suffering was probably just building up. And you can imagine him thinking about an opportunity. God, would you ever give me an opportunity to see my brothers again? Because if I do, and you can imagine what he was going to say or what he was going to do. So now the brothers come to Egypt and they're looking to buy food and Joseph is the ruler there and he has them. He has them in his power. He has the power to punish them and to make them pay for all the harm that they'd done to him. He can get his revenge if he wants to and nobody can stop him. But in that moment, and this is what's remarkable about the story, this is what makes Joseph such a hero. In that moment, in an incredible display of love, and grace, Joseph chooses not to punish his own brothers. Instead, look what Joseph says to them. He says, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. You see, he was just a teenager. 
And he was a Hebrew teenager. He was a, like a rancher, sheep herder, uh, goat herder. And, he, and so he looked completely different to them. And he had been speaking a different language. They didn't even recognize him, but he recognized them. And he says, I'm your brother, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Look at Joseph's bigger perspective. It wasn't just about me and my suffering. Look what plan God had in mind. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And so then it was not you who sent me here, but it was God. Wow. Can you imagine the, 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 the grace that Joseph had in his heart to have a perspective like that? He goes, he goes on to say this um, in the next slide. Do we have that? He made me father to Pharaoh. Okay, so now he's choosing not to exact revenge. And he says, he made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, ruler of all Egypt. And so now... And he's telling his brothers, you don't have to stay here. You're not my slaves. You're not my captives. I'm not going to exact any revenge on you. He says, now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. Can you imagine when Jacob hears those words, thinking that 20 years ago he'd lost one of his favorite sons to death? And, and it says, your son Joseph, he's not dead. He's alive. He said, Joseph the one who's alive, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. So what I want you to see is there's a picture of forgiveness here. And it's not just saying, I'm giving up my right to punish you. That is, that's one level of forgiveness, right? But so not only is Joseph giving up his right to punish them, to exact justice, from his brothers who wronged him, he is now, he's taking a step further and he's now saying, I have the ability to bless you and I'm going to bless you. And I want you and all your families to come down here to Egypt because God has made me ruler here. So that's an amazing thing. So you might ask yourself, okay, what if, what if I act like Joseph? What if God gives me enough grace, uh, uh, love in my heart that I'm able actually to forgive that person for all the hurt and the, and the suffering they called, they caused me? What if, I, what if I am able to do that? What if I'm able to forgive? What's going to happen? You know what's going to happen? They're just going to go free. And I know there's a sense of justice and fairness that we have in our heart that says it's not right. It is not right for them to do what they did to me and then just to go free, just to not be punished for that. That's not fair. Is that not how we feel? In answer to that, I want to I share with you, and this is in your bulletin. So if you have your bulletin, please uh, turn to this and you can fill in the blanks. I also want everybody to have a bulletin because there's another sheet of paper in there that we're going to have and we're going to do together as a response time at the end of the message. So just get ready for that. Friends, I want to share with you uh, some things that forgiveness is not, right? So are you ready to fill in the blanks here? First, number one, forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not the same of forgetting. Just because God asks you to forgive somebody doesn't mean you have to blank it out of your mind, forget what, uh, whatever they did to you. Sometimes people say, well, I can forgive, but I can't forget. Forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. 
Uh, sometimes if you forgot, you, you might uh, jump into a dangerous situation, uh, an unhealthy situation. If you didn't remember what was done, you might actually trust them and, and put yourself in harm's way again in front of that person. So forgiveness is not the same. It's not the same as forgetting. Number two, forgiveness is not pretending it never happened. I think there's sometimes when uh, people think they've forgiven somebody and they said, you know, I'm just trying to blank it out. Of, I'm trying to blank those episodes out of my mind. I'm trying to just, you know, a sub, what do you call that? Uh, when you submerge something, you, you push it down, suppress. You're trying to suppress all the memories. You're trying to suppress all the things that happened to you that hurt you and wounded you. It's not pretending. Forgiveness is not the same as pretending it never happened. Joseph by the way, to his brothers. He never said, hey, something bad happened 20 years ago, but I chose not even to remember it, so let's just you know, let bygones be bygones. No, he called them out and said, you did, hear, you did hurt me when you did that to me, but God had other things in mind, and he's put me here, and, and Joseph is now extending forgiveness to them. But he didn't pretend it never happened, and he didn't just forget it. Number three, forgiveness is not trusting that person again automatically. Just because you've changed doesn't mean that that other person has changed, right? They still may be harmful. They still may be toxic to you. And it may be unsafe for you to be around that person. Um, if that person is abusive, if that person is physically abusive, it is not advisable at all. And I hope you, you wouldn't do it. It's not the same as trusting that person again automatically and putting yourself back into harm's way, whether it's emotional or physical uh, potential harm to yourself. It's not trusting that person again automatically. Trusting that person again has a lot to do with how they respond to your offer of forgiving them. Number four, forgiveness is canceling their debt. I don't know if you knew this about the word forgiveness, but forgiveness uh, in the original language is kind of a financial term. Forgiveness means canceling the debt. In other words, you did something to me, and that, you know, this is, where we get the, this is where we even get the language. You did something to me that hurt me, that wounded me. You owe me something. You owe me an apology. You owe me some groveling. You owe me some restitution. You owe me. And, and it's... In our minds, it's not necessarily financial, but in the original, forgiveness was the same as, as uh, canceling somebody's debt. It's even in the King James language. Those of you knew, who memorized the Lord's Prayer when you were younger, and in the King James, in the, quote, the Jimmy King version, uh, it said, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In other words, somebody has sinned against us. They have a debt that needs to be paid. What forgiveness is in its most basic form is canceling the debt that you think or you believe that they owe you. I'm not requiring anything else from you. You don't have to, you don't have to grovel. You don't have to beg. You don't have to do anything to, quote, earn my forgiveness. I'm offering it to you free and clear. Canceling their debt. And then number five, Forgiveness is also giving up your, quote, rights to punish them. In other words, you're saying, I'm going to forgive you. Is it fair? No. Is it just? No. Are you going to get what you deserve? No. I'm not going to be responsible for all that. I'm forgiving you. And what, is, what do you think God is trying to do when he's saying, forgive us our sins 
just as we forgive those who sin against us. When we offer that forgiveness out of a free heart, out of a forgiven heart, when we offer that forgiveness to others who've hurt us, what do you think happens in their hearts, right? If a person has a super hard heart, it may not even make a dent. But there are some other people that when you say, you mean you're, you're willing to cancel the debt? You're willing to forgive me? You're willing to not make me pay? You're not trying to punish me for what I did to you? Some people, have, some, some people it, it would freak them out. And other people, would, it would soften a hard heart. And it would actually say, wow, I didn't deserve it, but you gave me this. What is it that you have in your heart, in your life, that allows you to forgive somebody who owes you a debt like that? You might say it's not fair. They should have to pay for what they did. And you know what? If this world was all about justice and fairness, then yes, they should have to pay for what they did to you. But you know what that means with God? If they have to pay for what they did to you, then God says, then you also have to pay for what you've said and done to other people. Uh, I, I think it's kind of funny uh, the way we are, the way that most people think. And I'll just speak for myself and maybe say, maybe some of you are like me. I, I think that what most people want, if they're really open and honest, you know, not in church when you're supposed to be loving and gracious, all this, but what most people want, you know, Monday through Saturday is this. They want God's justice and judgment toward everybody else who's wronged them. But they also want God's mercy and grace applied to themselves, right? See our own double standard? Say, let's don't be hypocrites about this, right? If we want God to extend his mercy and grace to us, God says, I will do that, and then I want you to extend that to other people. Seriously, friends, that's not fair, but that's how God wants us to treat them. I don't want God's judgment to fall on my life, I'd much rather have God be kind and merciful to me, forgive me of my sins. Well, praise God, because in Christ, that's what God has done for us, right? We don't get what we deserve. We get grace. We get God's love and forgiveness and companionship and a right relationship with Him. And we get all our spiritual debts canceled when we put our trust in Jesus and decide to follow Him. And now that we're forgiven, God says to us, okay, son or daughter, Here's what I want you to do. Now that I've forgiven you for all the sins you've done, I want you to show the same grace and forgiveness to those who have hurt you. I know it's hard. It was hard for me to sacrifice Jesus in order to pay for all your sins. Don't forget that. Dear God, do I really have to forgive that person who hurt me? You know, last week we talked about the Lord's Prayer. Right? That God wants a relationship with us. That's why we even get to call him Heavenly Father, who's, a, who's, who's over all. That's a family term of relationship. And in that family relationship, he says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Do you know what Jesus says immediately after that prayer is over? He says, if you forgive those who sin against you, then your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you're not willing to forgive those who have sinned against you, then neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. I, I really want us to realize just how serious God is about this issue of forgiveness. If we are not willing to forgive those who have, who have hurt us, wounded us, no matter how bad it is, no matter how deep it is, if we are harboring a grudge, if we are still trying to collect a debt that we think they owe us, then we are putting ourselves... You and I are putting ourselves in a state of unforgiveness 
before God. And Jesus has this story that he tells that is just this outrageous story about finances. And he says, if you can't get what grace and forgiveness is about from this story, I don't know if there's any hope for you. This comes from Matthew chapter 18. Same author where we have the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18, the parable of the unforgiving debtor. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus now talking, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who borrowed money from him. And in the process, now, now get this, you've got you to gotta notice the details here in verse 24. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him how much money? Millions of dollars. I, I think in the Greek, it's like, it says 10,000 talents. And in the Greek numerical system, there was no bigger number than 10,000. So the maximum amount that anybody could owe anybody, basically, this servant was brought in who owed him a maximum amount of money, so much he, he, there, there, he could live 10 lifetimes and hit it on the stock market every single time in his life, and he still wouldn't make enough money to pay off this debt. It's a ridiculous amount of money that he owes. And Jesus is sort of hyperbole exaggerating this to say, I need you to get the point here, right? So one of them was brought in, owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, everything he owned to pay the debt. If they, even if the master did all that, he couldn't pay off 1% of that debt he owed, right? So this is the ridiculous part of it. So now... Uh, the, the story goes on, but the man fell down before his master and he begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Remember that word, re remember that phrase, please be patient with me and I will pay it all because you're going to hear it again in the story. Then his master was filled with pity for him. Look, uh, think of God as the master in this story. When we have a debt that we owe God and that we could never pay, look what happened. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and he forgave his debt. Millions of dollars that he owed the master and the master said, fine, I'll, I'll have compassion on you. You don't have to pay the debt. And the, and the servant went out and he rejoiced and he canceled all the debts of anybody who owed him anything. And he was the most loving, gracious person who ever lived after this event right? That's the way you would think it would be. That's the way the story should read. But in Jesus' story, it's called the parable of the unforgiving debtor, right? So what happens to this guy when he goes out from the presence of the king, having just had a massive debt released? But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Let's say it was about three months wages, Three months' wages this guy owed him. It wasn't, it wasn't a paltry sum of money. It wasn't like he covered his lunch. I mean, there's a, a little bit of a debt here. But think about what had just happened to this guy, right? And so this is where the story has the twist. He went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and he demanded instant payment. And his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Look what he says. Do you hear an echo in the story? So be patient with me and I will pay it. Were they not, was that not the same words that that guy had just said to the master? Even though he, he was lying through his teeth or he was, he was deluded into thinking he would ever be a pay, repay a debt like that. So the guy, the, but 
uh, he comes up and now the, the same servant comes before him, says the same thing. Please be patient with me and I will pay you the debt. At least when this guy said it, there was a possibility he was going to make good on the debt he owed, right? But instead, his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. I always think that's interesting. You, you throw somebody in prison, how are they going to be able to pay off the debt? <laughs> you kind of need to work, do something to make some money to pay off the debt. But anyway, that's the way they did it back in the day. And it, now imagine, so, so uh, this, these two events happen, master, servant, massive debt that was uh, canceled and released. This guy walks out. Instead of passing on that forgiveness to somebody else, he throws this guy in prison who owes him about three months wages. What happens now? in the story and you're thinking like oh i hope that master doesn't hear about it because this guy is in trouble you know when some of the other servants saw this they were very upset they went to the king they told him everything that had happened and the king called in the man he had forgiven and said you evil servant i forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire fine. Wow, that's a, that is a serious story with a terrible ending, right? Certainly wasn't one of those, and they all lived happily ever after. We read this and we see what this king does to this unforgiving man. It's pretty harsh. That king must have been really angry. Well, why do you think the king was so angry? Isn't it pretty obvious? I can't believe that you go out after I treated you with such grace and mercy, such forgiveness, canceled all that debt that you could never repay. And the minute you go out from my presence, you don't even, you don't even get a little bit of what grace is like. You just act like you forgot it and you go back to your old way of life. He could never repay. He gave him grace and mercy and his servant just newly forgiven. He goes out, completely forgets what happened. He wasn't moved. And here's what I think Jesus is driving at in the parable. The problem of that unforgiving servant or debtor was he wasn't moved. He wasn't changed at all by the grace that the master showed him. And then this is what Jesus says at the end. And, he, and now he brings it home and he says, oh, I'm not just telling a story about a master and two debtors. I, I'm telling you this story because this is how God is going, to treat it, is going to treat you. And he says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and your sisters from your heart. You know, when I think about the, the great king and I think about what our great king has done for us, I, I don't know how it's possible to think about that and feel that for a little bit and not have our hearts moved or transformed. You know, the king in that story, do you know what he's done for us? He sent a man to us. He sent his very own son. This man showed up to talk about a God who loved everybody, no matter who they were. He accepted everyone just as they were. This man helped people in need and he spoke the truth in love. He fed the hungry and he gave time and attention to the poor and to the outcasts of society, those that nobody gave any time or attention to. He talked about God's love and mercy rather than God's judgment and, holy and condemnation. But the people he came around 
How did they treat him? They turned their backs on him. They arrested him. They went to the governor of the state and demanded that he be executed. They turned him over to a group of soldier thugs who beat him mercilessly, who whipped him cruelly, and who mocked him. And then they made him carry his own heavy wooden pole to his place of public execution. And yet, remarkably, this man whom the king sent, remarkably, as he's stumbling under the weight of that heavy wooden plank, this man is now begging to God. He's pleading with his heavenly Father, and he's saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. You know, Jesus did this, and he set an example for us. When Jesus did this, he started the change to this world to reconcile it back to God. Jesus began the change with his radical forgiveness. But Jesus is saying to you and me that the change in the world is not going to be complete. It's not going to do what it's intended to do unless you and I, who've accepted God's grace and forgiveness in our lives, until we pass on that grace and forgiveness to others in a radical way, not because they deserve it, but because God loves them just like he loved us, that God is willing to forgive them just like he was willing to forgive us. And if that change doesn't happen in our hearts, this world is just going to stay the exact same old way it is. And we're not going to fulfill the intended purpose that God gave us his grace and forgiveness. Paul says it this way in, a, in, the, in the letter to the Ephesians. He says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted." Forgiven, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Every time, it's so interesting, you can hardly go to places in the New Testament and read the Gospels or read any of the letters. You can't hardly go to any place when it talks about forgiveness and, and what God wants us to do, like you need to forgive other people when they hurt you. You can't hardly go to any place without seeing first that, oh, by the way, do you remember that God has forgiven you? Do you remember the debt that he's canceled in your life? You've got to respond and do the same thing. So would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing grace in our life. We thank you that because of Jesus, we get something that we can't earn. We didn't deserve. We don't, for, we don't merit it. We can't do enough right things to make up for the wrong things that we've done. But Lord, because we put our trust in your son, Jesus, you offer us this amazing forgiveness. You, take, you cancel all our debts. You take away any punishment. And, and you, you set us into your family. And Lord, we're so grateful for that. Thank you for your love that motivates it all. Lord, I pray that in our lives that we would demonstrate that kind of grace, that kind of forgiveness, that kind of long-suffering that doesn't hold grudges, that doesn't keep a record of wrongs, that doesn't try to get back at or wish ill of somebody uh, because of what they did to us. Lord, we release them from that. We forgive them. And Lord, it, it help us to find deep in, in your grace even the ability to bless them. Lord, we pray your blessing on them. May they come to realize just how great a God you are and what a great Savior you are, Jesus. And may they find your forgiveness through a saving relationship with Christ. 
Lord, change us so that this world can be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.